Hello, everyone. I'm Matthew Dodge, and at Blameless, I help customers adopt the Blameless platform to improve service reliability for their end users. My goal is to help our users become more resilient and be highly efficient when managing incidents. Um, it's a fulfilling job when I see engineers reduce toil and in many cases shave hours off each incident, especially when doing a retrospective and sharing what happened. Um, so today's topic is on retrospectives. Do we need them and why? Um, and the short answer is yes. Um, and to answer the why, I'm going to spend the next 20, 30 minutes I, to share and hopefully convince you to consider why you might need retrospectives and how you can use Blameless in your retrospective process. So what we talk about is with retrospectives of how to give engineers and on-call teams the power to close incidents, uh, communicate after the fact, and, and learn, right? This helps you to avoid headaches. It helps you save time. Um, and it also helps you share what's relevant to your unique stakeholders, right? At Blameless, we've intentionally designed the product to help response teams um, or whoever is on call, including uh, subject matter experts, when handling an incident to give full control or agency to close out the incident and communicate clearly what happened. Ultimately, everyone learns and better understands. Also, when teams are triaging and debugging an incident, you know, the last thing that they need to think about is all the steps, all the moving parts to follow that are in the runbook, uh, including taking actions to escalate, documenting what's occurring. So I'll share how we can give back to teams as it relates to those processes, um, automating important steps and documenting the most important actions uh, and follow-ups. So, a little bit of a step back, we're going to say what's a retrospective, right? Um, in Blameless, you'll see this referred to as postmortem. We're actually moving away from that. Um, we're moving more towards calling it the retrospective, um, which is a, a what happened narrative with graphs is the best textbook let for teaching other engineers how to uh, get better at progressing through future incidents. That comes from Steve McGee, has a cloud solutions architect at Google. Um, so when we talk about retrospectives, um, or a retro, which is a shortened version. Uh, we talk about this definition in particular because it puts an emphasis on teaching others when faced with future incidents, uh, especially those that are similar. Um, the reality is that the on-call teams change over time and new engineers join, plus your services are also changing with new releases being pushed and of course new users as you grow and scale your business. Um, it's organic and it's constantly changing. So ideally what you would like to do is capture the learning moments um, and being when you capture those learning moments as they happen, this allows for all the teams to rise when you do that because we're creating that record that historical record that can be referred back to. Um, and we're also creating follow-up actions where there's a lot of learnings and there's a lot of um, benefit that can come from following this process of kind of creating the retrospective. So before we dive in and show the actual demonstration of what this looks like within Blameless, uh, let's, let's talk about some best practices, right? So as I stated earlier, a retrospective is a chance to look back and review what happened. Um, you know, that's that's typically understood retrospective as a look back, right? Um, but what's the best way to approach this? Um, first and foremost is the decision to when to do a retrospective, uh, documenting when that happens, right? Uh, that history, that, that documentation, that historical record, that helps us learn, right? Um, 
we here internally, uh, we like to conduct a retrospective pretty much every time. Um, and that's not necessarily to say we do a full meeting um, because sometimes time is of the essence when it relates to getting the group together for a meeting. Um, we definitely do that for sev zeros. We definitely do that for sev ones. Uh, but even lower severity incidents, when we talk about sev twos, sev threes, um, we're creating postmortems around them because uh, even if something is, for example, a one line code change or easily fixed, um, if that's something that's going to come up later or if that's something that we can learn from, we want to capture that information uh, and we want to document that information, right? Um, we acknowledge the incident and then you know the retrospective takes place so uh inside your organization uh you'll have a different or potentially the same but potentially different approach right you'll document when do you do the retrospective report um for minor incidents, super minor incidents with say severity four you might decide to skip that um, but again for us we say it's best practice uh or a good practice to get into that habit of doing it for all the incidents of all types and all severities uh, might not work for everyone like i said because of time but this this is based this is where you take the time to say uh, here is our internal documentation around uh, when we do retrospectives and how we do retrospectives as well, right? So, for example, if you're currently drowning in P3s, P4s, um, and you just can't, it's unsustainable or it's unmanageable to do a retro for each one, then, you know, maybe not every single incident needs a full retrospective, but it really depends on your environment, um, the maturity of the services, the team, uh, and how regularly you're pushing your releases. There's always going to be that push-pull between, um, you know, the reliability aspect, and are, you know, are we focused on our reliability or are we focused on you know pushing the envelope uh, as it relates to new features new releases and stuff like that so um, depending on where you're at on that scale um, you might be doing you know more new releases you might be doing less new releases so um, it really depends on what's going on with your organization as as it relates to the retrospective uh, the kind of the where when and how right but once you once you've gotten past that and we're you're into actually the process of performing the, the retrospective or completing the retrospective. Um, one thing that's really powerful is visuals right they tell a more complete story um, sharing dashboard charts, um, sharing screenshots, any type of visual that you can really uh, add in there is especially useful for future team members to quickly decipher and understand what took place. Oh, I know that's a that's from our monitoring and I can see based on the chart that, you know, it, it was fine and then there was a spike. So we're going to look at that spike and we're going to hone in on that, right? We know where to go to isolate on that, right? It can really help cut to the chase, right? If you're already familiar with that environment, um, you can say, oh, yep, I know that. I know what happened. I know what repository or what server or node, whatever it is, where the issue arises um, and being able to kind of narrow that down really quickly with that visual, right? Another thing that we say uh, is very important is that timeline, right? Being able to replay what happened and when, um, and also making sure that uh, that's relevant details and not every single little thing because that can become very uh, bulky, right? That can become hard to manage if we're getting all of the details uh, of every single thing. So 
within blameless we have an events timeline and it's pretty valuable to help tell that story of events um, when the incident was started uh you know when the customer was impacted things like that right uh you ultimately are looking for some type of timings around this metrics around this sometimes after the fact right how long an incident took from start to finish this is really useful um, as the organization and your services mature and evolve um, ideally the chart is going to be moving um, you know in a direction to where we're able to uh, not only identify issues more quickly, but also resolve issues more quickly uh, as our process matures, as our incident response process matures, right? Um, you know, timeline helps you tell that strong story and hit all those major touch points along that path, right? Not every detail, as I said, needs to be included, but the major decision points do, right? We've identified this. Here's our discussion around the identification. Here's our discussion around our mitigation strategy. Here's the efforts that we've made as it relates to uh, code fixes, um, follow-up actions, things like that. So that's all going to be part of the timeline when blameless. And the timeline of the event or of the incident is going to uh, be a big part of your retrospective as well. So getting that timeline uh, accurate and correct is just going to help speed that retrospective process along and, and help it to be more understandable and more comprehensive and as it relates to what occurred. And then, you know, timing is really important, right? You want to promptly share this. You want to be transparent. Um, and you also want to get the team involved before they forget, right? Um, we don't say necessarily you should do this right after the incident happened um, because it's still kind of uh, we we made it through the incident. Let's take a moment to kind of recollect ourselves. But typically within a few days, whatever your internal kind of SLA is around the postmortem, uh, sometimes it's you know less days for a higher severity, which makes sense. Um, but we don't want to go too far away from it because people do get busy with other things. Um, and if you're a smaller, really busy team, you have to be very uh, intentional about this. Uh, and you have to be honest and you have to be transparent and, and of course be blameless, right? This isn't, this is an opportunity to say, you know, who did what wrong. This is an opportunity to say, here's something that went wrong and here's why. Uh, and then here's what we can do to kind of prevent that going forward, right? That's the goal of the retrospective as we see it. Um, and then last but not least, is really telling a story of what happened, right? Giving that context, giving that background. Um, you know, stakeholders that might not have lived through the experience uh, are going to be interested in it. Um, and they're going to want to use this retrospective report as the opportunity to kind of learn more about what occurred and what was done to in response. So they should be able to you know read that and understand that pretty easily. So that's your opportunity to to use some of the options that we have in blameless as it comes to, um, you know, uh, completing that retrospective uh, to tell that story in a in a full way and in an understandable way. Okay, so I'm going to drop out of this slide for a second and we'll do a demo and talk a little bit more about the things that um, we've been discussing. All right. So within Blameless, 
user interface. This is an incident. I started the incident because I wanted to show one thing that we talk about when we talk about automation and we talk about reduction of toil. Um, and that's the fact that for every incident that's created, uh, a postmortem uh, report is created automatically. Um, now it does need to be completed, but this is just one of those automation steps where you don't have to remember, oh, we need to go spin up a report now for that incident that occurred because it's already happened as part of the blameless automation. Um, you'll see the timeline here as well, but we'll talk about the timeline because that gets carried over to the postmortem. So just going up here to the right, clicking on this postmortem, that takes me to the postmortem screen. Um, and this is what we've been talking about when we're talking about completing the retrospective. So we see a lot of things here, but I'll, I'll direct your attention to each one of these things kind of in turn. Um, first of all, you'll have the postmortem state. The default state is going to be unassigned. Um, this one that I pulled up as an example is in the published state, and we'll talk about that. Um, if you have a draft process where it needs approval, we can put that in a draft ready or an in review process. Um, you can also put that as approved, um, rejected, or for whatever reason. And then we do have that published state. Um, and then uh, again, we also, since we do create one for every incident, if we do have those low severity incidents where it's not required, you can mark this as not required. So we do allow that option. Um, the creation date, of course, which is going to be in line with the incident creation date um, when the the postmortem was last updated, and then this is where you would assign the owner. Uh, owner assignment is interesting because they the blameless bot uh, will send reminders to the owner in the incident channel that the postmortem needs to be completed, and that's based on your settings that you set up. That's based on your SLA. Um, so I mentioned this earlier briefly, but if you have an SLA of seven days. Um, the bot will send reminders that say, based on your SLA of seven days, you now have six days to complete the postmortem, and then every day thereafter, it's kind of an automatic reminder. So that's really helpful to the owner for them to keep it top of mind if it hasn't been completed. Um, and those go away, of course, if it gets marked as published or if it gets marked as not required those reminders stop. Um, a link back to the incident. This is similar to what I just showed in the incident where the postmortem and the incident are related and you have that permanent link between the two. This is the events timeline over here that we spoke about, um, copied over right from the incident. So we see some timestamps of the incident creation. Typically we say the start of the customer impact is the same time as the incident creation and the, and the start of the incident impact. Um, these can be adjusted. Um, I'll show that down here. So if we're talking about impact, oops, I scrolled past it a little bit. If we're talking about impact here, we see the same impact timings that are in this events timeline. Um, Sometimes customer impact will occur before the incident was created. Um, so we want to be mindful of that. So we do allow those timings to be edited, both the start and the end. Um, but for now, this is the same. The default is the same. Uh, and then, of course, when it's created, it's unassigned. That assigning it is a manual thing, which I've done here. I've signed it to myself. Um, and then you see the remainder of the events timeline. So things that are being captured out of, out of Slack, uh, text being captured of Slack, images being captured of Slack. So we talked about telling the story. There's not a whole lot here here because this is a kind of a demonstration one, but ideally or uh, usually typically there would be a lot more conversation here, uh, things that we had uh, captured out of Slack with our emoji capture or our capture highlight option, and the same thing with those images. So you would see the back and forth from the team. 
um, as they went through the incident resolution process. And you'd be able to reference that here when you're working through your overview and your analysis of your postmortem. Uh, and then we also see all the status changes as well. So as we're moving that uh, incident through to its resolution, we're going through those different stages of in identified, you know, investigating, identified, monitoring, and resolved. And we can see those occur here as well. And then we also see some of the postmortem state changes, right? Uh, it was assigned um, and then it was published, right? So we do have that. Um, if uh, one or more persons are working on this at the same time, you can kind of add comments. Um, and this is kind of just a similar to like a text discussion that would happen here. And then we also have this detail section that talks about your postmortem collaborators and then kind of the team members. So you have access to all this information as you're working through this. Um, beyond that, there's two major sections here. There's the overview and the analysis. Um, I've showed the impact timings, which appear on the overview. Um, these are tags. So tags that have been applied uh, can be applied during Slack, during the incident management process. Uh, they can also be applied in the, the incident UI that we showed at the very beginning of this demonstration. Um, and then if there are any tags that we may have left out in those processes, we can add them in the postmortem as well. So this can be edited. Um, tags are really interesting because they allow for you to collect a data point for uh you know future uh reporting right so if we're looking back at our reporting which we call reliability insights and blameless and we want to see uh every incident over the past year where a third party outage is a contributing factor because we've applied this tag we now have that data and this this incident is one example of that right um there's some default tag uh, categories here, but this is fully customizable from within your settings. I won't go there now because it's a little bit outside of the scope of what we're talking about. Um, also, we have follow-up action items here. Um, you can create a follow-up action item, uh, again, within the incident itself in Slack, within the incident Slack channel, uh, within the incidents UI, and then you can, uh, you can edit them here if needed as well. So this shows your follow-up action items. Um, and then you also have the root cause analysis. Um, this is an exercise that's been referred to as the five whys. Um, why something happened? Why? Because this other thing happened. Well, why did that happen? Because of this other thing. So you can go through that process as part of your retrospective to really get down to what we call the root cause. Um, and if you edit this section here, um, any of these sections where you see the pencil can be edited, but if you edit this, uh, you can go through that process. This happened because this happened because this happened, right? And then once you get to the root cause, you can mark that with mark that gray bug as red. And again, that becomes its own data point, right? So if we're looking for root causes, incidents with root causes where the server was down, because we've done this identification here, that's collected as a data point. So there's a lot of different data that can be collected. And in fact, any one of these, uh, I haven't gotten here yet, but any one of these answers to these custom questions, um, any one of these timestamps, uh, the root cause, the follow-up action items, there's a lot of different elements to this. Anything that's in the incident or anything that's in the postmortem uh, is a data point and reporting can be created on that. So that's an important thing to note. Um, going back to this custom questions, because I haven't discussed this, this is another area that's customizable. Um, currently, this is set up through something called JSON schema, where you have to uh, 
format it in such a way that it produces this output. Um, but this one, I highly recommend it to everyone in their retrospective process because it takes some of the guesswork out, some of the guesswork out of what questions are important, what data do we want to collect. Um, and so if you have this set up in your settings for your incident, um, each time the team is presented with the retrospective report, they'll be asked to complete these questions as part of that process. So things like, who was impacted, right? Was it internal? Was it external? What was the detection method? Um, was this incident caused by a recent change? Was this incident attributed to the correct team? So this is these are just examples. Um, these questions could be very similar for your organization or they could be very different, right? Um, but again, this is a data point, right? So if we're looking for incidents where a recent change caused the incident, yes or no, since we have this yes, when we look at our reporting, our reliability insights, which is up here, um, we can then create a report that says, show me all the incidents where a recent change caused the incident because we've collected this as an answer to this question. So uh, a lot of value there. Uh, so definitely, like I said, encourage that as part of the retrospective process. Um, and then the other tab here is the analysis. This one's a little bit more simple to explain. Really, this is just your freeform text editor, right? Um, this is where you're doing that portion where you're telling that story that we talked about. Um, you, can, you can provide visuals here as well. Um, you can use some of these elements and move them over. Um, and this is just, again, your freeform typing, right? You know, if you were to say something went wrong, which is a very basic thing, but you can just type it in there. We have some style options as it relates to the text. Um, and then this also supports multiple editors, right? So as we talked about the comments thing, um, looks like there hasn't been any discussion here yet on this one, but if we had multiple editors, uh, myself, my coworker, another person from another team are all kind of doing input here because we may have bring in the technical uh, the technical expert uh, to do to provide that technical synopsis, right? We might do a more general synopsis, and then we might do the technical evaluation as part of the postmortem. So that person might be doing that at the same time, especially if you are, have the meeting and you have this brought up, and some person uh, or persons are doing this uh, process of filling out this form, um, and we're talking about it in this meeting. Uh, it's an opportunity to not only discuss it verbally, but um, if you're doing that asynchronously, you can add these comments, you can add uh, the text in here as well. Um, and also these headers are uh, customizable within settings as well. So you can have whatever headers that you want here. Uh, you can have whatever text here, um, whatever works for your organization, for your team. Um, we're just presenting some options, some flexible options um, and some automation, like we said around, you know, you won't have to remember to do, to create this document each time. You won't have to remember to create these headers each time because we're creating the document for you uh, and because those headers have been preset in those settings, uh, same as the custom questions that we talked about over here. So this is how we take the time spent um, and some of the kind of toil and anguish around the completion of the postmortem and the postmortem process. That's how we take that um, and try and reduce that and try to automate that and try and really bring the time spent down to where maybe this used to take before blameless this would take you you know half a day maybe to do something if it was a sev zero or a sev one getting the right team together getting the right information creating the document etc cetera, etc cetera. maybe we bring that down to you know an hour or you know the scope of one meeting 
which is what we're really trying to do. Um, get the information, uh, get the context, get the follow-up action items, uh, and really get that evaluation and that analysis, get that published, and then move on, right? And then the other benefit of that published, because I just mentioned it, once it's completed and you go here and publish it, we then, as part of our automation, will then archive that Slack incident channel. So you don't have a lot of these Slack incident channels hanging out, you know, kind of incomplete and unfinished um, because we've already gone through the incident process. We've already gone through the postmortem process. So we're ready to publish that and we're ready to move that on, move on. And then um, additionally, you have export options as well. So you can export this as PDF. It comes in a great, uh, very legible format. Um, and you can export it as an email. So again, we talked about interested stakeholders um, and being able to share that with them as well. So we do provide those options. Um, and again, going back here, we see the postmortems. We do have that historical record. Uh, each one is its own unit, but again, reverse chronological here, and we can see that same as our incident list as well, works the same way. Um, so that's everything as far as the live demo. I'll come back over the slide real quick. Uh, I've got one slide here at the end. Um, useful reading. Oh, went back just a little bit. Useful reading. Uh, do check out our blog, uh, Five Best Practices for Nailing Incident Retrospectives. Uh, really great reading there. And then also the secret of communicating incident retrospectives to stakeholders. So a lot of what we've talked about in this uh, short session here is also expanded on a little bit more on those two blogs. Um, so yeah, so I will, would recommend that reading. And again, thank you for your time. Um, I hope this has been informative and I hope that uh, this inspires everyone to uh, not only use Blameless, but also to adopt the retrospective process through Blameless. Also, if you have any questions, please feel free to put those in the chat now.